we're in a golden age of Mars exploration. So this year alone, three space missions have arrived at Mars, uh, one from the UAE, one from China, and one from the US, uh, NASA. Um, so that combination um, is a wonderful one, actually looking at um, Mars. And actually, we have another mission going next year. So um, uh, on the right-hand side, we have an image of the Rosalind Franklin rover. So that is um, uh, the one which we're working on. So that's for launch next year in 2022 in September, and that will arrive in June 2023. Um, and that carries with it a, a panoramic camera system, which sits at the top of the mast there, so the top of the mast. And just to give you an idea, I brought actually along a model here of PanCam. So this sits at the top of the mast of the rover, and it's about that high above the Martian surface. So two metres above the surface, it looks around and looks uh, potentially for evidence of life. Uh, but uh, not, it's not only the camera system, um, there are many other instruments which, um, which we'll be doing, and I'll come to that later. So I'm going to start by talking about, um, about the three missions which have arrived this year. Um, so February at Mars, um, February 2021, was very busy with three missions arriving one after the other in, in, uh, in February. Uh, and just to introduce you, I'm going to tell you about why we're so interested in Mars. One of the reasons is that life might have started on Mars 3.8 to 4 billion years ago um, because conditions were somewhat similar to Earth. Um, and so, and that's about the time that life was starting on Earth as well. Um, so we have um, that interesting prospect for looking for, um, uh, for, looking for life on Mars. Uh, but there are other things we want to do with Mars as well, to try and understand Mars as a planet, why Mars is different to the Earth. And so the missions are looking at all of these types of things to understand um, the, those possibilities. And I have to say that Mars is not the only place where there could potentially be, be life elsewhere in the solar system. At the moment, we only know of life on Earth. We don't know of life anywhere else in the universe. And so um, elsewhere in the solar system, as well as Mars, which is a really good prospect, there's also Europa, one of the moons of Jupiter, which has water and the right chemistry going on uh, in a subsurface ocean. There's also Enceladus, one of the, um, one of the moons of Saturn, uh, and possibly Titan as well. So there are these other locations in the solar system which are also fascinating. Fascinating. But Mars um, is, 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 of course, closer, easier to get to, um, and uh, we think there was a possibility of life. So 3.8 billion years ago, we think um, uh, that, that's when Mars was really habitable. And there's a number of strands of evidence for that. So first of all, Mars at that time had water on the surface. There's lots of evidence been building up for that um, from orbiters, which uh, have been orbiting the planet for a long time, so starting in the 70s, in the 1970s, the Viking orbiter, uh, which, uh, which was in orbit around the planet, that was, uh, saw outflow channels on the surface, and so that's partly evidence for, it's sort of indirect evidence for ancient water on Mars. And that evidence has been building up with the more recent missions as well. So water um, played a key role. And more recent missions actually have, have, have really sort of proved that it was water um, on the surface of Mars causing these outflow channels. And in the image on the left there, you can see uh, effectively an outflow channel, which is an ancient um, uh, flow of water on Mars. That particular one is from the European Space Agency's Mars Express orbiter, which is uh, still in orbit around Mars. So another big thing 3.8 billion years ago which Mars had is a magnetic field. So we have a magnetic field on Earth. Of course, we used to use that for navigation. Everybody now uses GPS, of course. But, um, but uh, the, the image here is actually evidence for crustal magnetic fields on Mars, which were left over from, um, from when Mars had a global magnetic field. So our magnetic field 
helps to keep in our atmosphere. And this is one of the sort of reasons we have life on Earth. And it's a sort of cradle for life in a way, sort of keeping um, the Earth safe from the solar wind blowing away the atmosphere, which has happened at Mars, um, because Mars lost its magnetic field. Uh, but um, uh, we, we also have the, um, the possibility for... Uh, stopping radiation from space actually coming to the surface. And that's another thing which a magnetic field can do. So the image here actually um, shows uh, the, the color scale is a height map of Mars. So you can see the, um, the, the, uh, the blue uh, is the sort of low areas on Mars, and then going through red um, and up to white, uh, which gives you um, the highest areas. And so you can see the northern hemisphere is mainly quite low. The southern hemisphere of Mars, this is a map, um, the southern hemisphere of Mars is, um, is relatively high. Um, and in fact, over the top of that color map are black and white contours, and that's to do with the magnetic field. So these are crustal magnetic fields. So the, these old rocks, we know the rocks are old because of the number of craters, the cratering density. You can tell the age of surfaces in the solar system from that. And so it, it was an ancient magnetic field, 3.8 to 4 billion years ago. But Mars suddenly lost it like that. And um, so it, um, it suddenly lost its magnetic field. We think that's because Mars is smaller than the Earth, so it lost its heat of formation more quickly. So the core, uh, which we have a rotating core underneath us with iron, uh, which means that we have um, currents flowing, and that produces the magnetic field, that stopped on Mars because Mars is a bit smaller than the Earth, you know, about half the size. Um, so that's why Mars's magnetic field stopped. But this is evidence for that magnetic field, for the ancient magnetic field, which used to be on Mars um, 3.84 billion years ago. So the other thing it had at the time was volcanism. This is a picture of one of the, well, the biggest volcano in the solar system called Olympus Mons. And so this is 27 kilometers high, three times the height of Mount Everest. It's huge, uh, 600 kilometers across, but it's extinct. Um, and so there used to be volcanism, helping to provide water cycle and things like that on Mars. So we think 3.8 to 4 billion years ago, before we lost that magnetic field, um, we had a habitable, habitable planet at exactly the time that life was starting on Earth. So we think there's the possibility of, of starting life on Mars at that time as well. So the next slide shows what Mars might have looked like 3.8 billion years ago. This is according to computer models and so on. So on the left-hand side, you see something which looks a little bit like the Earth now. It had a thick atmosphere. Um, it had um, water clouds in the atmosphere, water potentially on the surface in those low regions on the map. There may have been a, a, an ocean in that northern uh, part of Mars, um, and certainly lakes. There's evidence from the rovers that uh, long-lasting lakes were there on Mars with the right kind of pH, the right kind of acidity to actually be habitable as well. And so, um, so at that time, um, Mars had that habitability. Mars now, on the other hand, on the right-hand side, is a cold, arid uh, place with um, a very thin atmosphere, less than 1% of the Earth's atmospheric pressure. It's a carbon dioxide-rich atmosphere, so it's not um, suitable for life. And actually, the surface temperature is extremely cold um, on the surface of Mars. So five to 10 degrees centigrade during the day, um, but at night, every night, it goes down to minus 100 to minus 120 degrees centigrade. So every night it's doing that. So anything we put on the surface of Mars has to survive 
that cold temperature on the night side of Mars. And the Mars day is just a little bit longer than the Earth's, about 24 hours, 40 minutes. Um, but um, So it's, it's rotating a very similar type of rate. Okay, so Mars now has, um, uh, is, is not, a, not a very good place to, to be, not a, not a good place to, um, uh, to live, and we think the possibility of life on the surface is actually um, you know, zero. It's really not habitable at all. But at depth on Mars, we might have um, evidence for, for uh, past life, and so that's what we're looking for, uh, one of the things we're looking for with emissions. <coughs> So our requirements for life, that as for, for life as we know it, um, we know that we need liquid water, uh, we need the essential elements, the right chemistry going on, so this is carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus and sulphur. Uh, we need a, a source of heat, um, so to, to make reactions happen, and we need enough time for life to develop. So we need all of that um, for, um, uh, for, that's the sort of recipe for life, and early Mars had that as indeed did those other places in the solar system, um, and may even have now. So Europa and Enceladus seem to have conditions right now. So that's, um, that's future missions, including the JUICE mission launching next year. We'll be looking um, at the Jupiter system. Okay, so on to what, uh, what the missions are happening at the moment. So, um, so the missions to Mars, and the talk mainly is about the, the four missions here at the top. So the UAE have the HOPE orbiter, which arrived in 2021, this was launched last year. So every two years, you have the opportunity to, to launch to Mars. So our mission is not launching next year. But HOPE arrived actually on the 9th of February this year. So that was the first of this year's missions to actually arrive in orbit around Mars. That's the HOPE orbiter. And I'll talk about, a bit more about that in a moment. China um, has a mission as well. So the Tianwen-1 orbiter, that arrived in orbit around Mars in, um, uh, on the 10th of February. 2021, so just one day after the UAE mission, uh, and then uh, and that actually has a rover, a little rover as well, which is on the surface of Mars. It landed successfully in May this year, so that was deployed from orbit and landed on the surface, and I'll show you some of the results from that as well. Uh, and then NASA um, have the Perseverance rover, sort of very excitingly um, landed on Mars on the 28th, uh, uh, on the... Um, uh, in, in February 2021 as well, the 18th of, uh, of February 2021. Um, so the Perseverance rover um, and also the little Ingenuity helicopter. So I'll, I'll show you some of the results from that as well. And then next year, we have um, the ESA Russia, European Space Agency in Russia, Rosalind Franklin rover being launched next year. And as I say, that arrives in June 2023. And also, there's a number of other missions. Um, so actually, we have 11 missions altogether at Mars, which are at the, at the moment um, uh, sending back data. So Mars Odyssey, Mars Express, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, Mars Science Lab, otherwise known as Curiosity, the Mars Orbiter mission, the Indian mission, MAVEN, um, the ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter, and also InSight, which is looking at the inside of Mars. So it's a really exciting time for Mars science, and as I say, a golden age, really, of Mars exploration. So the first mission to arrive was indeed the UAE, UAE mission. Um, so that's the Emirates Mars mission. And this is one of the instruments. It actually has three instruments on board. It's an orbiter. So it's an orbiter around Mars um, taking images, but also it's sort of a weather satellite, the first weather satellite we've really had at Mars. So this is looking at all aspects of the atmosphere of Mars, looking at the, um, and how it interacts with the surface. 
and how it interacts with its space environment. So it's looking throughout the atmosphere to be able to do that. So those three instruments, there's a, a visible um, imager, which um, this is the, uh, uh, an image from that. So this shows Mars with Olympus Mons. Don't need to point it out, it's a blob on the right-hand side. Um, that's the, the very large volcano. Um, so very nice imaging system, which is working well. They have had uh, quite a few other um, results here. So from the um, ultraviolet spectrometer, and an infrared spectrometer. So between the, the, the instruments, these are actually looking at um, uh, different aspects of the atmosphere using different wavelengths of light. And so the, those um, use those different wavelengths to look at uh, different aspects of the atmosphere. But one of the key results and really interesting results actually comes from the ultraviolet spectrometer. And that is to look at the Mars aurora. Now this is fascinating because Mars had a magnetic field. Um, it now uh, doesn't have a global magnetic field. It has crustal fields on the surface, so little blobs of magnetic field on the surface, effectively. And these have been imaged now with the, um, with the HOPE orbiter. And so we can see that here. Um, so the images show on the day side of Mars is the sort of bright green blob um, on the, on the left-hand side, and then the night side um, is the darker uh, patch with um, you know, making up the circle, but with the individual um, uh, areas of, of aurora. So the aurora, this is a bit like the northern lights and the southern lights, which we have at Earth, but with the, uh, the magnetic fields of Mars, these crustal magnetic fields, we can now see how those are um, located on the surface. Previously, the measurements using magnetometers showed us the shapes of them. So what's happening here is the solar wind is a stream of particles coming um, away from the sun all the time, about a million tons per second. And these can get into um, planetary environments. So at our planet, it produces the northern and southern lights, the aurora on Earth. At Mars, it interacts with these crustal fields um, and sort of um, that guides the charged particles down because, of course, there's a magnetic field, charged particles, they're guided down and hit the thin atmosphere of Mars. And when they do that, they produce light. And so that is ultraviolet light. And you can see these shapes um, here, which is shown by the, uh, uh, highlighted by the circles. Those are the um, signs of those crustal magnetic fields. And this is what we call discrete aurora. So this is discrete um, uh, parts of aurora. That happened to Earth as well, but more towards the poles of Earth, where the northern and southern pole, where we have the aurora. Here it's happening um, sort of at the various places where we have crustal fields on the surface of Mars. There's also something called diffuse aurora um, and proton aurora as well. But this is the, these are the best images which we have so far of the discrete aurora. So the UAE mission uh, is producing that. We had a session at the Royal Astronomical Society's National Astronomy meeting earlier this year in July, and this was one of the um, exciting new results in our Mars session um, from the UAE mission. Okay, so the next uh, image is from the next mission which arrived. So, you know, another day at Mars, another mission. So it's the 10th of, um, uh, the 10th of um, February when this arrived. And so this went into orbit and produced a number of images of Mars. So, of course, the, the usual image of Mars on the right-hand side there. Um, and then on the left-hand side, more detailed images. And there are some amazing images and also other data. 
So the, um, the orbiter is very well instrumented with, um, with um, several different instruments looking at not only imaging, but also looking at the magnetic field environment, looking at the escaping particles from Mars. So it's very much in the, um, in the line of international space research going on. So some exciting um, collaborations are possible with the, with the Chinese for this as well. Um, so this is from the orbiting um, mission, and that successfully went into orbit. These are some of the images from it. And then they also have this lander, which, uh, which landed on the 15th of May this year. Um, so this is their first attempt to land on Mars, China, and it worked very well. And so we can see on the left-hand side, those are the ramps um, that the uh, rover actually went down to get onto the surface of Mars. And on the right-hand side, an image um, of the rover itself. So showing some really um, amazing images um, from the uh, area which they landed. Um, and another image uh, produced relatively recently, um, again, so showing some wind-blown structures and some of the geological features on Mars, as well as some of the antennas associated with the spacecraft itself. So again, um, the rover has a number of different instruments. It has not only images like our uh, PanCam, not, it's not that um, one, but, uh, but um, images made in China. And then there are also some um, uh, other instruments, including a subsurface sounding radar, so that could look underneath the surface um, to look for uh, hydrogen and water underneath the surface. And that, um, so this image is amazing. This is a selfie um, of, the, of, the, of the mission actually taken on Mars. Um, so they had a little camera unit which they dropped on the surface and that by the, with, with the rover, and then the rover sort of wheeled back a bit and you can see the selfie of the, of the, um, the rover and, um, and the lander. So amazing image to, to be able to see that. Um, and they, of course, um, also took images during the descent. Um, so the, um, uh, just like with the Perseverance rover, which we'll get to in a minute, um, these are uh, pictures from the surface, but they also took pictures on the way down. So you can see parachute deployments and, and so on. So those are very available um, for people to look at. And again, there's interesting results coming out from this, which are starting to appear in international conferences. It's a very international thing, space science. Um, so working with China with their data, we've, we've um, uh, you know, helped to, um, uh, to, to do that. And again, with our session at the National Astronomy Meeting, we had some of the scientists presenting at that, which was, which was great. So the next slide shows Perseverance. So this is the third mission arriving at Mars this year, and it arrived on the um, 18th of February. It went um, into land. So this is a slightly complicated picture showing all the instruments on the rover. The rover is a little bit bigger than the one which we're sending, sending next year. It's more of a car size, so it's a sort of one ton um, of, um, uh, of uh, lander which landed on the surface of the, the rover landed with a very exciting descent sequence, which some of you might have seen, um, and, um, uh, and that was available in real time just about. Um, and so that, uh, that was amazing. Um, but successfully landed, and those are the instruments on board. So what this is doing um, is to um, look on the surface for potential signs of life um, uh, and, and underneath the surface. But it's drilling cores which will eventually be brought back to Earth. And I'll show you the picture of the first sample which has been taken, which will be coming back to Earth in, in a few years' time. So as I say, it's a really exciting time in Mars exploration. So just to introduce you to the Perseverance mission, this is the, um, the crater, Jezero crater, where this landed. This is um, an ancient um, uh, uh, area on Mars with water flowing into it, 
and water flowing out of it. So on the left-hand side there at the top, beside the crater rim, you can see um, uh, signs of a, a river delta. Um, and that, um, uh, a river delta going out into the crater. And so that's um, uh, the, one of the targets for this mission. Uh, also, water flows out of this on the other side, or f flowed out of it. And again, this is 3.8 to 4 billion years ago when, um, when there was water on the surface. So we know that there was water on this crater. This crater actually was made by a meteor hitting Mars, you know, sometime before that, of course. Uh, but the crater was, um, was the right shape to sort of fill with water and then to, for water to flow out of it. So it's a good place to be looking for potential um, biomarkers because if there was life on Mars, that water might well have contained it, and so that's one of the reasons for going there. So the actual mission landed um, in the region where that oval is, in fact, a very precise landing, um, which um, uh, just uh, in one of the, uh, the spots to the right-hand side, or just towards the right of the center of that oval, is where it landed. Um, so we're lucky enough to be uh, involved in this, in the science of, of this. We're um, on one of the instrument teams, the Mast Cam Z team. So again, that's a camera system on the top of the mast, uh, led by my colleague Jim Bella, Arizona State University, um, and we have a, a few UK scientists actually involved in that um, involved in that camera uh, system. So very exciting mission. That's where it landed, and the idea um, is that this will eventually rove to that river delta. And so that's a really good place. To, you know, sediments would have been laid down. It's a good place to be looking for potential biomarkers on Mars. And as I say, the idea is to actually store samples um, from Mars in tubes for later bringing back to Earth. So this was the exciting um, landing sequence. And so um, this is um, just a still from that, which is amazing. You know, the rover being let down from its sky crane system. This is the way it landed um, on these um, sort of a bit like a puppet on a string, but, um, but um, uh, being lowered down to the surface safely worked extremely well. And of course, it's taken um, a number of images. But actually, before it landed, this is an image from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter of Mars. Um, so in the background, you can see the, um, uh, the image and then a blown up part of it. That is the parachute and the rover before it actually landed. So that's taken from orbit. So to be able to do that, to get the timing right and everything was just amazing to be able to see that before it landed. Okay, and that's the, the a landing, uh, the land, after the landing and showing the, the sort of dust kicked up by the, um, the actual landing system because it's on... Uh, the, the sky crane has retro rockets quite powerful to, to um, hold the thing above the surface, then they cut the cords and fly away into the sunset. So, um, so we have uh, an amazing landing. Okay, so this um, is the location where the landing actually is with a very high-resolution image of Mars. So you can see the green dot in the middle there. That is where the landing occurred. Over to the left-hand side at the top, that's the remnants of the river delta, um, and there's another part of that towards the center left of the, of the image, the sort of brighter part there. That's the remnants of an ancient river delta. Um, and so that is where we will be roving to eventually with this rover. Um, for the moment, it's sort of gone south and then, um, and then a bit west. I'll show you a, a map a little bit later on. But when it first landed, um, this was the first um, 
panorama which it took. And this is really high resolution. Um, this is from the Mars Cam Z instrument, um, so Jim Bell's instrument on, um, on perseverance, um, and shows a, uh, and this is very high resolution. You can look at this on the web, you can zoom in and look at features, and you get an idea of the detail by that inset there, which is one of the rocks um, in the far distance. So really detailed, um, wonderful images of, uh, from the surface. And so that was one of the first uh, pieces of data to come down, which showed that it landed in an amazing location. Um, and the top image there shows actually it, that was all pre-programmed before the landing because while you're landing, you're out of contact with the Earth. So it's not like being able to control you know, a computer game or something like that. Um, everything has to be done automatically. Um, so one of the things which is done automatically is taking that panorama sequence. So you've got to work out what, uh, how it's going to land, give enough um, uh, idea for the, 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 the right direction to look. And so those red things over the top are the individual images which were stitched together to make that amazing panorama. And all that pre-programmed before the actual landing. So some other images on there from other features. So after landing, some amazing images from all of the cameras, but including Mars Cam Z uh, and the navigation cameras and SuperCam and all, all the other instruments which are, which are working really well. So this is another selfie <laughs> showing the rover. Um, and you can see, well, you wonder how, how did it do that? Well, um, it's by a combination of, it has a long robotic arm with a camera on it. And so you can do that. If you take enough pictures, you can sort of, um, uh, you know, not see the, the, the arm which has, which, which has uh, done that. But in fact, that selfie shows not only the rover itself, which you can see with the rotating head there, and showing, that shows the pan tilt mechanism which they have for the camera. But also on the left-hand side, that's Ingenuity, which is a little helicopter. So this is the first time a helicopter has been sent to Mars. Um, this is the Ingenuity helicopter. It's only 1.8 kilograms, um, so less than two bags of sugar is the weight of it. It's about 50 centimeters high. It's got rotor blades which counter-rotate. There are two of them um, at 2,400 RPM because I mentioned that atmosphere of Mars is really thin, so it's less than 1% of the Earth's atmospheric pressure, so you have to have very rapidly rotating blades to get enough lift to get the thing off the surface. But, uh, and so that's the, um, the, the Ingenuity helicopter having been um, put onto the surface. And this is a video, actually, of the first flight of a powered vehicle on another planet. And so this was an amazing Wright Brothers moment. You can see there the, um, the rotor blades rotating, um, on the image, uh, Ingenuity itself is at the bottom of the plot, and there it goes above the surface. And this is its first flight, um, so it just it went basically up and down again, which is fantastic. <laughs> but um, but this but the the so this was in effectively to show you could do the engineering to actually fly something in such a thin atmosphere. So this is an amazing technological achievement. There it is landing again. Um, so it has a couple of um, cameras on board which, um, which take images and in fact now this is being used as a, effectively a scout for the rover, for the main rover. So we have, um, uh, there's, um, that flies out in front, decides where to try and explore. So that wasn't the original intention. The original intention was just to do the engineering um, uh, side of it to, to show that you could do that. But now it's still working, so you know, why not? It's, um, it's already made... Um, 13 flights um, on, on Mars and so uh, and still scouting um, in front of the rover effectively to look for good places to go. So it's, it's in the process of doing that. 
These, these are some of the images from that camera system and from the two camera systems on, on board that little um, helicopter. And so there's a black and white camera which you can see and that's um, fast enough to, to give you an image. This is an image of its shadow, its own shadow on the surface. So you can see the rotor blades um, and, and that's the shadow on the surface. On the right-hand side is the colour camera. And actually on the left-hand side of the colour image, you can actually see the rover as, as well. So that's flying a little bit away from the rover. Um, so that little blob um, on the top left there um, is, is um, where, the, um, uh, where, the, where the rover is. And as I say, that's, that's, been used, that's used, being used now to enhance the science. Okay, so some amazing images. This one is an image of the crater rim. Um, so I mentioned this is a crater. It's an ancient crater on Mars, which was filled with water. Uh, and this is the crater rim. Um, so this is a relatively high um, uh, uh, crater rim in the distance. Um, and then this image and a little video shows the first, them trying to take the first sample on Mars. So this is a robotic arm, which has got a number of instruments on it, including an abrasion tool to abrade away at the rocks, and then you can do detailed analysis of where you're going to take the sample. There is also a drill and a coring mechanism to actually get a core, and that can get cores up to 6.6 centimetres um, uh, from underneath the surface. So again, it's getting underneath the surface, but not as deep as, uh, as we're going to be doing with Rosalind Franklin. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, th 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 these are the samples they're getting, and that's the, um, that's the sampling mechanism. So the first rock which was sampled was carefully chosen um, after, after a drive from the, you know, following the flight of the helicopter and the testing of that to an interesting scientific site, and they chose this rock. Now, these are called paver rocks just because they look a little bit like paving stones. And you can see this is the first sort of the drilling has been done, and these are the sort of spoils that come out from, from the drill. They tried to take a sample with this, um, and unfortunately that didn't work on the first uh, thing. There's the, a better picture of the, of the rock, um, of the actual um, hole in the rock, and some little indentations on the side there, that's to do with lasers, which um, can zap um, the rock, and with the, looking at the light which comes off, you can tell the, the chemistry of what, um, of what the rocks are made of. So that's uh, looking at the light which, which is um, emitted by, by, those rock, by, by those laser zaps. And you can see the evidence for that. So that, it looked good, looked as if the sample had been taken. Obviously a sample has been taken out of there, um, but uh, it turned out, so, oh yeah, that's the abrasion tool um, to actually get the, and coring tool to get, this, to get, to get the sample um, of the rocks. And, uh, but unfortunately, that first one, this is the um, drill, uh, sorry, the, um, uh, the sample tube, which um, the idea is to bring those back to Earth. But unfortunately, the first one was empty. However, the good thing about that is that it's a sample of the Martian atmosphere, which is going to be brought back to Earth. And so, you know, we can still get some good science out of that particular one. But it was a disappointment. And that appears to be because the, the rocks in that location seem to be a little bit less a little bit um, more crumbly than had been expected. But actually, that's a really good location because there are sort of flecks in there which look like salts have been left, uh, more so than we get at the other site. And so I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so this is a map showing, um, showing where, the, um, uh, where the rover has been. So the scale bar on the bottom there is 200 metres. At the top is the landing site, the Octavia E. Butler landing site. 
Um, that first sample was taken at this point on the, the bottom part of the, of the sort of V there, Rubion, um, so that location, and then the rover moved along to this area called Citadel um, to take its next sample. Um, and so that's, the, um, uh, that's the, the, the sort of context. Now, all of this is, is kind of quite small in the crater. The actual um, river delta that I was talking about that's a little bit um, sort of north of here, uh, but the, there are some uh, 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 sort of... Um, parts of that also in this location. The, the rover is currently looking just in a little, what they call a toe dip, just into the terrain um, up onto that ridge. Um, so it's, it's currently doing that. But the second sample was taken at that location called Citadel. And this is um, a sort of a panorama of where the um, second sample was taken. Um, and actually it's that rock which is um, on the bottom the, to the left there it's that rock which the sample was taken from. So there's some more, and there we go. So, so there's some more images um, of that. So there's the rock uh, which was carefully selected. These are sort of sedimentary type of rocks, so it looks like they've been laid down um, uh, in the past, uh, but um, some analysis was needed to see whether these were volcanic um, or, um, or other processes. Um, so that's the rock again in, in a bit more detail. Uh, and then this, uh, you know, after doing some abrasions, so on the right-hand side, you can see a little bit of an indentation. So that's where the rock is abraded, and then you take other instruments up on that um, robotic arm to actually do the analysis. Um, and so that was done. Uh, and then the hole, which you can see, that's the first sample which was then taken um, and successfully put into a sample tube. So on the left-hand side here, that's the sample, this time in the sample tube, so that looks good. So on the left-hand side, everything looked fine. The one on the right-hand side, they did some sort of um, uh, preparation for bringing that back to Earth, including shaking it to get some of the dust off the front. And it looks like the sample has gone, but actually it hasn't. It's, that's the good news. It's still in there. And in fact, there is a better image where you can actually see the sample. So this is another historic image from this mission. It's the first sample which is going to be brought back to Earth. Um, and so that's the, um, uh, that's the first sample which was taken. You can see there's a number of different colours in that sample of the rock, so sort of brownish and blackish and the whitish flecks. So all of those are interesting. Uh, and those, when looked at in more detail, you can tell um, the, the types of things which are there. Oh yeah, that's just another image showing the... Um, showing the um, in focus the, uh, the sample at a particular point. And there's the, the sealed sample tube. So that sealed sample tube is going to be, um, for the moment, kept in the rover. Um, there are about 40 of these altogether. Um, they're going to be dropped off at a particular location on Mars uh, at some point fairly soon. And then another cache will, be, will also be left on the surface for another mission to go back later, and I'll, I'll get, back, get to that in a moment. But for the moment, some of the scientific analysis which has been done um, with instruments on the rover called Watson and Sherlock, you might notice, you know, these are, these are um, uh, acronyms which stand for very technological things, but actually Watson and Sherlock, you know, we're looking at detective work here, you know, to try and understand um, uh, what the, the features on Mars and what we're trying to do. So on the left-hand side um, is the general image. Again, you can see some of the rock grains. Now, some of those are, um, are sort of triangular. 
If, if it was to do with, um, with water, you'd expect maybe it would be, you know, if it was laid down by water, you'd expect, um, you'd expect circular shapes, but they seem to be triangular shapes, so these seem to be volcanic rocks, which is interesting. But the little flecks in it, the, the sort of whitish flecks, um, those seem to be salts. And in fact, on the right-hand side, um, those are things like um, sulfates and um, phosphates, things like that, um, which, um, uh, which in this sample. So this is the abraded patch of the rock, um, and then the sample was taken later from just a slightly different uh, location on the rock. But these, this is a really, um, you know, the science team love this because it's, it's got uh, salts in it, and so the salts mean that those could have been laid down by water, and if you have biomarkers, that would be a good place for, that, uh, for those biomarkers to be. So another image here from the pixel instrument, and so um, that again looks uh, in detail um, at the chemistry. In fact, the yellowy parts of this image shows, um, shows salts on the surface. So this was shown at um, the NASA press conference just, uh, just over a week ago. Okay, so, um, so the samples, um, that, that shows where the abrasion patch was on the, um, on, on the sample there, uh, on, the, on the bottom. Um, that, that is where the, that, those abrasion features were, were taken, and then the samples um, were taken. And you can see eventually two holes. And so the idea now is to, is to actually have two samples, so one of the, from each uh, place at the moment. And so the samples from these, the two samples from this rock one will be put in that first cache uh, for potential bringing back to Earth, and the other one will be put in the second cache. So doubling up of samples is what they're doing to make sure they can get the um, information back. So again, this is the same map we saw before. So the second lot of samples were taken from this um, location Citadel, which you can see on the left-hand side there. And as I say, it's currently exploring the, um, uh, the, the ridge just, uh, just above that. But that second set of samples was taken from that. As I say, really historic, because these will be the first samples to be brought back to Earth. And in fact, this is a complicated diagram which shows you how difficult it is to get the rocks back to Earth. Um, and so um, there's actually three launches of spacecraft. So at the bottom, you can see uh, launches. So the one on the left-hand side is the Perseverance rover, which is currently on Mars. Mars 2020 is the other name for it. Um, so that um, is currently on Mars. It's collecting its samples. So we need two more launches to be able to actually get the samples back. So the first one there um, is a, um, uh, a um, spacecraft which will go to Mars, land on the surface, taking another rover with it. Um, this is called the Sample Fetch rover, Fetch rover. And so that rover actually is going to be built in Stevenage in Airbus, you know, not too far from here. Um, that's the European Space Agency's um, uh, con contribution to that mission. You can see there's an, a little E, which is the ESA um, logo um, on that rover. Um, that collects the samples and then brings them back to the lander. Then these are fired off the, the surface of Mars because, of course, they're held down by gravity, so you've get, got to get off Mars. And so we do that um, with the uh, rocket, which is shown there. And then that is brought into orbit um, and then eventually brought back to Earth and, and brought in a capsule back to Earth. So there's a few artists' impressions, which I'll just go through very quickly for this Mars sample return mission. And I'll say, you know, this is joint between the European Space Agency and NASA. Um, so there's the Perseverance rover, an artist's impression of it, with its um, sample tubes on the surface. As I say, a total of about 40 altogether. Um, and um, those, the idea is to bring those back to Earth. 
the next one shows the, the next, that next mission um, arriving with the little rover on. So this is not as sophisticated as the rover which is there or, with our, or compared to our rover going, going next year. But that lands on the surface with retro rockets like that and that's the sample fetch rover on the top. There's the sample fetch rover about to get those same tubes, gather them up, take them back to the, um, uh, to the landed platform and then eventually launch them off into orbit. So there's the, the um, little rover go taking the um, samples to the landed platform and eventually launching on that rocket off from, off from the surface of Mars. It looks like science fiction, doesn't it? But this is a, a real design um, for a mission which is, which is going to be doing this. So this is going to be going in 2026, um, to the first of those missions, uh, and then eventually we expect the samples back on Earth by 2031. Um, and oh yeah, this is another um, uh, sort of the gymnastics you have to do in orbit to, to be able to um, dock and then re, um, you know, put the samples into a capsule which eventually comes back to Earth. And the reason we want to bring samples back is to use facilities on Earth, which we can, can only use on Earth. So this particular one is the Diamond um, Synchrotron at Harwell. Um, so this, you can see from the diameter of that, that is not something you could send to Mars. Okay, so, um, you know, and, and that is one of the um, devices, and devices like that will be used to analyze these Mars samples. There's a certain amount we can do on the surface of Mars. We can't do everything. Earthbound laboratories are, of course, much more, um, uh, much more um, accurate um, uh, and, um, you know, we can get much more detailed analysis from them. So we'll be doing isotopic analysis, uh, all sorts of things um, like that. And so in the US and UK, Europe, you know, there'll be a lot of um, interest in actually looking at these samples. And that's one of the facilities. And that nicely illustrates why we can't send something like that to Mars. It's much too big. So, um, okay, now this is a nice map. This is where um, landing attempts have gone uh, on Mars. And so the ones in sort of lighter script are ones which have not worked. The ones in, in solid uh, script have worked. And so we can see um, opportunity um, and we can see, uh, you know, the, the various missions, Mars 2020, which has now um, successfully landed, um, Beagle 2, um, unfortunately, uh, did land but didn't send us any data back but you can see that's the location of, of the various landers on the surface and actually just to the right of Mars, 20, of Mars 2020 in the Acidis Basin that's where the Chinese mission is the Zurong rover and so that rover um, is doing uh, interesting investigations there so that just gives you a sort of um, summary of the, um, uh, of the um, uh, landing sites on Mars and, um, and our ExoMars rover um, is shown, that's the other one in blue, towards the left-hand side. So we will be going to a place called Oxyoplanum, which is another place where there's, there's been evidence of water on Mars in the past. Which brings us to our rover. So this is the one which is launching next year that I'm most excited about, because with this, we're going to be drilling under the surface up to two metres. So bear in mind, the American mission at the moment, that's, measured, that's drilling 6.6 6 .6 centimetres, we're going to be drilling two meters underneath the surface with, with um, Rosalind Franklin. So the rover, uh, it's the ExoMars 2022 rover, but it's now called Rosalind Franklin for reasons we'll go, through in, in, go into in a minute. This is the payload for it. So on the top left is PanCam. That's our panoramic camera system. As I say, this is the one. Um, this is a, a model of it. This sits two meters above the surface of Mars like this. And so that is going to, um, uh, going to be... Um, 
giving the geological and atmospheric context for the mission. There's also, on the left-hand side, those are all context instruments. So there's an infrared spectrometer, there's a subsurface sounding radar, there's a um, neutron experiment, which is going to be looking effectively at hydrogen in water underneath the surface, and there's a close-up imager. That's a bit like a geologist's hand lens. Then in the middle, the vertical thing, that's a MARMIS, that is a, um, a, a little imaging system actually inside the drill itself, inside the tip of the drill. So that gets the geological context from where we're actually getting the samples from. And then with this mission, we analyze them on the surface of Mars. And so the, those three, image, th three um, uh, instruments on the right-hand side, those are the ones that we analyze the actual samples that we get from two meters underneath the surface. Um, that's that's where we, uh, the ones that we use to analyze those. So, uh, and that's Micromega, a Raman spectrometer, and a Mars Organics mass analyzer. So there's big UK involvement in this mission, of course, in both in, in the academics uh, field and also in, in industry. Um, so I'm the lead of the PANCAM instrument, which is on the top left there. That's getting the context. But University of Leicester are involved in the Raman spectrometer, um, which is on the right-hand side, one of the things actually looking at the, um, um, the samples. And actually, we have a joint meeting with them later this week to discuss um, plans for analysis. Um, so it's a very exciting payload. Um, the actual rover itself is shown here. So this is, um, we're looking for signs of life on Mars. We launch on the 21st of September 2022, so next year now. So, in fact, um, the 20th, you know, depending which time zone you're in, it's actually one year today is when we're launching this. So one year today is when our mission goes to Mars, so very exciting. Um, and then landing on the 10th of June 2023, um, and um, we're drilling up to two metres underneath the surface, and we have both context and analytical instruments. So that's the combination which we have. And I should say this rover was built in Stevenage as well. So Airbus in Stevenage won the contract to do that for the European Space Agency, working with Talas Alenia Space, who is a prime contractor for the whole mission. So we have a very good um, UK industrial and academic um, involvement in this, um, in this rover. So very exciting. Why is it called Rosalind Franklin? Well, it's after, of course, Rosalind Franklin here, so brilliant x-ray crystallographer who did her work. Um, and uh, she took this amazing image, photo 51 of a fiber of DNA. So that was really instrumental for the, you know, critical for Watson and Crick's discovery of the double helix. Um, so they got the Nobel Prize for that. Um, and uh, of course, this photo was very key in that. And she's done other very important work on the, on the structure of carbon and viruses. That is the photo 51. So I can't wait to see what our 51st photo on Mars is going to give us. We'll see. But, um, uh, but anyway, it's, it's a very exciting uh, thing. And so the UK Space Agency um, had a competition to actually name the rover. And they got something like 36,000 entries for it. <coughs> and this was the winning one. So and, and absolutely very apt. And so we call the ro rover after Rosalind Franklin. So why do we need to drill? Um, so the, the NASA mission, as I say, is drilling 6.6 centimeters. We're drilling two meters. Um, and actually we've done some drilling tests in the last few days as those are going on in Italy at the moment to actually test the, um, uh, test the rover and the instruments working together. This is a test model of the rover. It's not the actual one. But that successfully drilled down to, to 1.7 meters and got a sample out successfully from underneath the surface. In, in Italy, so that's great. Um, but why do we need to do that? So we're getting below where um, destructive agents can, can sort of, um, 
would be a problem for organic um, samples like biomarkers. And so we need to get below about one millimeter um, to get where, uh, below where ultraviolet radiation can get to. We have this very thin atmosphere of Mars. Um, <coughs> so this means that um, it's a very thin atmosphere. So it's a bit like being under, um, it's a bit, bit, bit like being under an ozone hole all the time. So you get the ultraviolet from the sun, which can get to the surface of Mars. And so that is very destructive for life. And so the very surface layer, we have to get below that. We have to get below about a millimeter to get below that. There are also oxidants down to about one meter. Um, and then uh, penetrating radiation, ionizing radiation, both from the galaxy and from the sun, solar energetic particles, which happen every so often. And the study of space weather is all about that, predicting those, um, uh, those events. But we need to get below about one and a half meters um, to be able to do the samples. I actually had a PhD student working with us a few years ago who, um, uh, who did those calculations and getting below one and a half meters um, is, is what you need to do. Um, and so two meters is great. You know, the 1.7 meters, which has successfully be done, uh, been done, is also good, you know, to be able to, to get that sample. So, so that's what we'll be doing on the surface. Okay, so this is where we're going to land. This is oxyoplanum. So again, this is on this color map type of thing of, of the um, surface of Mars. Uh, and again, going from the, the blue, which is low areas, through green and up to uh, yellow and red and white, which are the highest areas. So on the left-hand side, uh, we can see that um, is the context for, for where this is. It's a little bit of a different position on the surface as we saw on that previous slide um, to where Mars 2020 is. That's a bit further round towards the Aesidus Basin, which is where Tianwen One's lander, the, the Zurong rover, is, is working. But this also, there's evidence for water having been involved here. There's phyllosilicates on the surface, which are clays. Um, and um, there's evidence for water having played a, a long role in the history here of, um, uh, of the surface. So the, the clay-bearing rocks, actually, it turns out, are about 3.9 billion years old in this location. So just a little bit older, probably, than the, than the Jezero Crater landing site, but you know, very close in time. So they're both really, really good places to, to be looking. And we see the remnants again of a fan or river delta in this region as well. So this is a great place for us to land. And we had a long process to actually choose the landing site. Okay, so this, I'm so proud to be able to show this. This is the, um, the flight model. This is the actual rover, um, which is going to Mars. And so this was taken during some of the tests in 2019, November 2019, which um, were done in Toulouse after building it in Stevenage. So it went to Toulouse and it's now in Turin and, and on its way actually today, I think, to Rome uh, to, to do some bake-out. But um, this was while it was undergoing its testing in Toulouse. So we can see PanCam, so that's the optical bench. This is a model of it here. Um, and we can see that on the top of the mast. The solar panels, the drill is the black thing on the front, um, and then uh, the wheels and so on. So we have also, as well as the uh, optical bench, which houses the three cameras. And I should explain, we have um, two wide angle cameras, uh, which are separated by 50 centimeters. So these are wider separated than the human eyes. Uh, so we get very good stereo from that. Each of those has a filter wheel in front of it, which we're able to get geology and atmospheric science. And then we have another camera, the high resolution camera, which looks in detail at rocks. And so that's the technology which is packed into this, um, this optical bench. Then we have things to make sure we get the, um, the colors right. So we have a calibration target there, which is um, the colored um, set of patches. Uh, and um, that um, is placed on the front of the solar panels on the rover. Um, and so, 
that helps us to get the colors right. We have fiducial markers to help us get shapes right, so geometrical calibration. And then we have a rover inspection mirror, which we can look underneath the, uh, underneath the rover itself, um, and so to see if there are any obstacles and things like that. So this is one of the instruments. But as I say, it's the one which we're particularly um, proud of. So this is just a little bit more about that. So these are the filters. So with these filters, and these again are the actual filters going to Mars. So these are the ones on the flight model. So those are the actual filters and those are the wavelength ranges of them. It basically is, is visible um, part of the spectrum and going a little bit into the infrared. We have some wide filters for red, green, and blue to get color, um, you know, and, and then we have narrow filters for geology. We had a PhD student helping us to, uh, to actually um, select, those, um, select those filters. And then we have some atmospheric filters as well. And so we're looking actually at the sun. These are called solar filters. And you look at the sun and looking at, um, uh, there's an absorption dip of water. And with a particular wavelength, you can get the amount of water between the sun and us. So we're able to look at water vapor in the atmosphere as well as dust. So we've packed as much science as we can into basically what is a camera instrument and uh, very excited for it to be going to Mars next year. So just to finish, um, we're currently in a golden age of Mars exploration, as I've um, tried to explain. So we have currently Hope Tianwen-1 with its uh, Zurong rover, Perseverance and Ingenuity. All of these arrived this year, 2021, at this launch opportunity. Um, as I say, it's joined the missions which are already there. Um, and then uh, it, it's already taken two samples. It's about to take another one, we hope, um, which is going to uh, be, be, brought back, be brought back to Earth. These are already cached, ready for the Mars sample return mission, which will be 2026, uh, getting back in 2031. And next year, we can't wait for the Rosalind Franklin rover to be launched. We have the team is ready, able to get the data. And in fact, I should say, this is a huge team effort. So at the bottom, these are the institutes which, which have helped. Uh, the ones with um, a few people involved which, which have helped and, uh, and will be helping with the science as well. Those are at the bottom of the slide. It's a big team effort of scientists and engineers working together internationally. So, so we have nine countries on the science team, um, engineers which have built the instrument and made sure everything is right, including the engineers which build, built this model. This is a very um, accurate model of the, of, of the camera. So we can't wait for this to look at the new dimension on Mars, drilling two meters underneath the surface. So I'll stop there. Thank you very much. If evidence for life is found, will it be possible to tell whether it's an independent origin or a common origin with the Earth from exchange of space rocks? Uh, it's a very good question, yes. I mean, we'll be able to look at... Um, I mean, what we're actually looking for is biomarkers at the moment. So this is the sort of possibility for life. But it will be possible to do that, yes, by looking at um, the DNA structures and so on eventually. Now, probably not with the Rosalind Franklin mission, but with the sample return mission, if there are signs of life in there with, you know, with the instruments on Earth, it should be possible to do that. So, but yes, it's an excellent question because... Um, uh, that's one of the big um, questions as to whether life might have independently ar arose on Mars at the same time as it arose on Earth, or has there been swapping between Earth and Mars, you know, with, with meteors and so on. So, but it's, it's more likely um, the, the um, independent origin, but we, we, we hope to be able to test that, yes. Yeah. If there's CO2 on Mars, 
Um, is there any reason why life shouldn't thrive on CO2? I mean, we assume that it should be oxygen, but there's no reason, presumably, that it should be. Well, our best model, of course, is life on Earth, and that uses oxygen. So, that, so the most likely thing is that uh, oxygen, and, and so that, that, that's the best thing we, we can look for. Uh, but, of course, it's not to preclude other potential types of life. I mean, there are a number of possibilities in science fiction in particular about silicon-based life and all this type of thing, you know, which, um, which, which people have wondered about in the past with fair scientific arguments. But, of course, we're looking for evidence. And the best way we can look for the evidence is for looking for evidence of life like we have on Earth. But, uh, but yes, again, excellent question. Well, I'm worried about Earth ending up like Mars before its time. I'd like to ask if you have any estimate of the amount spent on these space projects compared to the amount spent on renewable energies and the prevention of global warming. Well, we, ha we absolutely have to have um, and have to be careful about our own environment. It's really important to be studying that. So there's a lot of research going into that. And, of course, um, energy companies actually doing that and wind farms and so on. So th there is a lot of research which is done on that. Space research is expensive, and um, you know, sending, sending rockets into space and doing these amazing things which we can do on surfaces, it, it is costly. In the end, we're employing people on Earth to do it, so it's jobs for, for people, you know, high-tech jobs, keeping them from doing other things which they might be doing, perhaps. And, um, uh, but, um, you know, uh, what we're doing really is exploration. We're, we're trying to understand our place in the universe, um, and obviously, you know, the environmental concerns to Earth are sort of part of that. One can look, actually, at Mars and Venus and see how those have evolved and see, you know with Earth um, and compare those and see, see how um, the evolution might go in the future. But, um, I mean, Venus, of course, is a greenhouse effect gone mad with very hot temperatures on the surface, um, the, the runaway greenhouse effect on Venus. And Mars, it's lost its atmosphere because it lost its magnetic field. That's not going to happen with Earth. But, yes, it's very important to put money into all areas of research to, um, to make sure that we have a good environment to be... Uh, to be working in. So, yes, it's, um, it's a good question. Thank you. So, linked link to that, there's someone here who's asking, um, pointing out the, the amazing uh, impression of Mars 3.8 billion years ago, and is asking how long it took for Mars to change from blue and lush to brown and barren. Yes, um, great, great question. I mean, the, the atmosphere seems to have been lost over billions of years, so it wouldn't have been, sudden, wouldn't have been very sudden, but certainly, you know, thousands to... to millions of years to, for, for, for things to change. So it wouldn't be instantaneous. The magnetic field um, losing, again, that would be time scales of thousands of years. I mean, there are models of the Earth's magnetic field. I mean, with our magnetic field, um, our north pole of our magnet is in the southern hemisphere at the moment. That does flip every now and, they, now and again. Um, on average, every 250,000 years in, in the past, now it's been 750,000 years since the last one. So we're due for another reversal and the signs that that's going to happen. Um, but the magnetic field and the um, importance of that, you know, the time scales are relatively long. It's not instantaneous, yes, I think, isn't it? more efficient time to go to Mars, to send a rocket to Mars. When is the most fuel-efficient time? When is the most fuel-efficient time? Well, it's, it, it's to do with when the planets line up. Um, so Mars's year is about twice the Earth year, and so there's particular times which are, which are efficient. So 
The launch window um, is, is for our mission is 12 days, and so that's starting a year today, which is just amazing to be able to give this talk today, you know, just a year before we're, um, uh, we're, we're setting off. But yeah, we have a, a window of 12 days. So you have a window of sort of days to a few weeks every two years um, to be able to launch. But yes, very good question. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. That was an absolutely fascinating presentation. Thank you so much. And as I say, I really hope you'll come again uh, in the future. Thank but you. For now, many thanks. Thank you.